Good evening. It's uh, good to have you with us if you're in the building and uh, a welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Um, One of the privileges that Christians have is the ability to come and join with heaven as we worship God. And our first hymn has this as it, it tells us to join our cheerful songs with what angels are praising that the Lamb, Jesus, has won the victory and that he is worthy of our praise. So let's stand and sing our first hymn. to come to you in prayer now. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are such a good and a generous God. Oh Lord, we know that you love this world so much that you gave the thing that was so precious to you. You gave your only son who you loved that anyone who trusts in him can be forgiven, can be welcomed into your family, can be sure of a home in heaven. And Lord, we we are so glad of the consequences of your amazing, generous gift. But Lord, we pray that you'll help us to remember just how generous you are, how much it cost you. And Lord, help us to remember that if you didn't spare your own son, how much more we can rely on you to give us everything we need. 
And Lord, we need your help. We need your help to pray. We need your help to live for you. We need your help with our problems. Oh Lord, you know that we have problems in our families. We have problems with our health, some of us. We have problems in our work. And Lord, you tell us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And Lord, we we pray, Lord, that you will help us to do that now. Knowing that you are able, oh Lord, we are so glad that you are so strong. There's nothing that you cannot do. And Lord, we, we pray that you will work in our lives so that we know a sense of your peace, so that we experience your strength, so that we love you like you should be loved. And so we love other people too. Oh Lord, you know how in our nature it is to be selfish, and our nature it is to put other people down. Oh Lord, we pray that you will change our nature into your nature, that you'll make us like Jesus. Oh Lord, we thank you that we have your word. We pray that as we read it, we'll have a sense that this is God speaking. This is God promising. And Lord, we pray that as we read your word, we won't be forgetful hearers, but it will change the way we behave, the things we rely on, the things we hope for. Oh Lord, do, do make our, our relationship with you one that lasts beyond today, but affects everything we do in the week, whether we're with others or on our own. Oh Lord, we pray that we will want to be showing that we love you. We will be doing things to please you rather than things that don't. Lord, we know that we do do things that don't please you. We are so conscious that we are people who sin. And Lord, we are so glad that your word tells us that if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us. And Lord, we ask that as we come now, you will forgive the wrong that we've done and the good things that we should have done but haven't. Lord, we thank you for John. We pray, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit to help him as he explains your word to us. We pray, Lord, that you will help him to be faithful and that the words he says will come into our lives with power. Amen. We're going to sing again and we're going to sing about the light of the world, the one who came down into our darkness. And uh, my prayer is that our hearts will be moved as uh, we think of this wonderful love.
those of you who were here uh, last week will remember that uh, John promised that he's going to be preaching from uh, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, and it follows on quite closely from chapter 8, and you'll remember that he was sending some uh, men to Corinth to uh, help them with the collection that they had planned. And uh, chapter 9 flows on from chapter 8 and uh, starts by saying, Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know the readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia had been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saint, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. John's going to be preaching to that after our next song, which is, He Gives More Grace.
Well, I'm feeling this evening is um, a little bit different, but uh, hopefully in a good way. Um, a good number of you have been looking at the passage we're looking at this evening in the home groups during the week, and that could have um, it could have three spin-offs. Um, it could mean that you feel that you've looked at the passage enough, and you're thinking, not again. But I think that's unlikely. It could mean that, in a way, uh, we're primed and we're well-placed to get more out of God's Word this evening because we've already been thinking through it. And if that proves the case, then it might encourage us to try and find out what's going to be preached on on the coming Sunday and to get into the passage ahead of time because we'll get much more out of it when we get there on Sunday. It also means that I'm faced with people who've thought about the passage already, uh, hopefully discerning listeners, and so I better make sure that I can back up what I say this evening. Well, we started to look at these two chapters uh, last week. This is the, the biggest uh, uh, chunk in the Bible, single chunk on the theme of giving. And we looked at it last week and we realised that Christianity does affect our money. True Christianity will affect our money. But it does so in a way that affects our hearts. It affects our money, but through our hearts. We had three particular things that we thought of last week. Maybe you can remember them. We thought about uh, overflowing generosity... Uh, like the northerners. We thought about sacrificial generosity, like the Lord Jesus. And then we thought about responsible uh, generosity with Titus, etc. And just an extra thought on that responsible generosity, which came up in our own home groups. Um, It is good to factor in and to remember that... um, In places in the Bible, it does talk about making provision for the future. So, uh, Joseph certainly had to do that over seven years and save up for the years that would follow. There is a a storing of the harvest that is expected. And that principle does lead to some people making provision in the way they handle their money for bigger items that they expect to be having to pay for, like a car, like a house or trying to make themselves not excessively dependent on others in their retirement. And I think things like this going through our minds are part of responsible stewardship of our money. There is a biblical principle there to factor in. Well, we had those three main lessons last week, and as we go through the passage this week, um, there's five more things I want to bring out about giving, or at least five. Some of them, there's a a medley of things within the particular point. And the first, from the first five verses, is faithful giving. As we think about our giving, it should be faithful giving. Now, one of our home group members 
remembered back to her younger days when sometimes in the church or churches she attended there would be collections for certain causes and there would be some people who wanted to contribute to the cause but weren't in a position to do so at that point in time and they would put in the bag an IOU. And I owe you, I'm going to pay up later, there's an IOU towards this collection. And after a while, those IOUs were called, were called upon. Could those please who promised to give as part of this collection, please make sure the money comes in, we're wanting to send it off. Well, the Christians at Corinth, if you like, had handed Paul an IOU, a big one. Uh, They gave it to him, if you like, a year ago when they said they wanted to contribute big time to the collection towards the poor Christians in Jerusalem. They promised a gift, you see, in verse 5. The gift you have promised. And they did so with gusto. They did so with gusto. So that uh, the northerners, so the Corinth were southerners, southern Greece, so the northerners were stirred by the enthusiasm of the people at Corinth and the region uh, that they should do the same. See that in verse 2. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Well, the northern Greeks had now given generously. But what about the southerners? What about the Corinthians? Was anything coming from them? Paul had boasted that they were going to give. But now he was wondering whether that was all a bit hollow. It was, if you like, high time for the IOU to be settled. Paul could see that uh, the situation might well be heading for some embarrassment. Verses 3 and 4. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. They needed to make good their promised generosity. They needed to make good their promised generosity. And Christian giving should be faithful giving. We should give what we say we're going to give. We should follow through with our our pledges and our promises and our intentions Unless, of course, there are exceptional circumstances which blow our way and totally change the scene and make it not possible, we should follow through our pledges, our promises, our intentions. Of course, this is true not just with money, but in other ways, when we promise to help, when we promise to do something, when we promise to oversee something, to look after something. We should be keen to follow it through. We serve a faithful and reliable God. And that should make us want to be faithful and reliable ourselves. 
we should want our word to be our bond. Our yes should be yes, and our no should be no, drawing in on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's very easy, isn't it, to say, I'm going to pray for you every week. Or I'm going to start denoting on a monthly basis. Or from this pair of sermons, I'm going to review, or we're going to review and increase our giving. And for nothing to be followed through by those bold claims. Christian giving should be faithful giving. And Christian giving should also be willing giving. Willing giving. Verses 5 to 7. I think this is especially important principle for us to get hold of. Maybe you've experienced um, people, charities, religious organisations, maps, call, contacting you and, and calling for funds in a way that's very pushy. I've had my fair bit of that. I suppose it's par for the course when you get the mail through or the contacts through from the church. And I've had people phone and say, do you want to give £50 or £20 or £10? I think to myself, you don't decide what I do with my money, thank you very much. Not pushing me in the area of what I give. Now, many Christians encourage, um, they're encouraged by uh, an Old Testament pattern of giving a tenth. That principle is there in the Old Testament and um, it can be a very helpful line of thought as a, a family. We've used it as a, a general guide and starting point in thinking about giving. But it's a matter of freedom. And some are in a position to do more, more than that and, and some perhaps are in such a fix that they, they can't think along those lines. But it's a matter of freedom and not of compulsion. So we read in verse 7 about Christian giving... Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Or we read, going back at the end of verse 5, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction, not as something demanded, pushed for, that you have to give in order to give, get some consequences. So you and I, we, we purpose in our, our minds. That's what it encourages us to do. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, verse 7. We, we, we weigh up the situation, our situation. We, we think about the need. We're, we're moved by God's kindness. Um, we pray over what's right. Uh, perhaps we talk about it as a couple, if you're in a couple. And, and when we say, well, well yeah, th- this is what I want to give. This is what's in my heart to give. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. There's a great example of this in Moses' time. Uh, when the tent of meeting... The tabernacle was being sorted out in Exodus 36. There was a a collection of items which might contribute towards um, the tabernacle. Uh, We read about in verse 3 to 7 of Exodus 36. And they received from Moses all the contribution 
that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were strained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. So these free will offerings, what they decided themselves to do, there was so much of it, they'd say, stop, that's enough, we've got enough, thank you. Big willing hearts giving out of generosity. Last week after the service, uh, somebody mentioned to me about Florrie Taylor. Now she, a few of you will remember Florrie Taylor. I have some memories of this dear lady. Um, She was poor when she was young. I remember her telling me that how pleased she was at Christmas to have an orange in her stocking. You think how often you have oranges if you like oranges. Well, when she was... uh, more uh, older in years, um, she used to get involved in some way, I can't remember all the details, but in arranging some sale of craft towards a charity, perhaps Pilgrim Homes or something like that. And uh, one year she was unable to do what she normally did and so couldn't make that contribution in that way. But then she she still gave to the cause and donated an amount, which I think was something like £70, a big amount for somebody who was poor. And the person who uh, received it from her towards the cause said, you needn't do this, you, you haven't been able to have your sale this week. And she said, no, but I cancelled my subscription for the year for Women's Own and Radio Times. And I'd like to give it towards what you're doing. Well, you don't have to cancel your subscription to Women's Own or to Radio Times. But it... These things aren't compelled. But she decided in her heart, this is what I want to do in this situation. And it was a big thing for somebody in her situation with limited means to cancel a whole year of that enjoyment. It was willing giving, uncompelled, willing, generous. So we, we should be on the lookout, be stirred, but do it with a willing heart. If we go away with just grumpy, guilt-ridden givers from these two sermons, well, oh dear, that smells, doesn't it? But willing hearts moved by God, that's lovely. Decide what you want to give. Enjoy giving it. Which brings us nicely on to our third point this evening, which was also our title. Cheerful Giving, cheerful giving, especially verse 7. In our home group, one of the things that came up was this. We think, we tend to think that getting is a cheerful business. But here, giving is a cheerful business. We might think of happy getters. Well, here it is happy givers different, isn't it? 
Now, there, there is a happy getting. Uh, and, and I want to make sure that we sort of have a balanced understanding of things. We do need to remember verses like God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Uh, one of the concerns I have on uh, preaching on a couple of sermons like this is that people go out and they feel guilty about enjoying God's gifts, that it actually sucks the pleasure out of everything you have. You think, I can't have a a meal out, I've got to give the money away, I can't go on holiday, I should give it to charity. You think, I can't eat any sweets, I've got to put the coins in the collection box. Well, in God's wonderful kindness, there, there is a joy in receiving gifts. There's a place for enjoying his gifts. I remember we picked up this theme when we looked at Ecclesiastes. Maybe you remember that theme comes out a few times in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. But in this verse, the joy is in giving, cheerful giving. Now, the Greek word is actually the word that we get our word hilarious from. Hilarious giving. Now, I'm not suggesting it meant exactly the same then as uh, we have for hilarious today, but it it shows the sort of direction. This is big-hearted, joyful giving. Perhaps some of you in your families had some of the Steve Green uh, Bible choruses for your children And maybe you remember this one on God loves a cheerful giver where they all end up laughing as they sing their song. Well, perhaps you feel it's a bit over the top. Perhaps it was a bit over the top, but it makes the point of cheerful giving. Good-hearted, joyful, happy, not reluctant, not begrudging, not tight-handed, but open-handed, Cheerful giving. Joy in in passing on what we have. Joy in meeting the needs of others. Sometimes we say, it's a pleasure, it's my pleasure. And if we're following this, it really is my pleasure. Because I give cheerfully. Now, we don't tend to have so much given in the boxes here for different collections or for the local church here. Um, it's done in different ways, but I've sometimes thought, in some ways, we ought to see areas around boxes, if that's where you give, as happy zones, cheerful zones, giving. We don't tend to use checkbooks so much now these days, but in a way, that's your Mr. Happy Book. That's where you can write things to give to others. We tend to do it more now through banking transactions or online. But perhaps you can think of it in this way. Uh, When the pound sign goes up, think instead of a happy emoji going up before your amount. Happy, cheerful giving out of a good heart that loves the Lord. That's what's been encouraged in these chapters. Well, what's God's attitude to happy giving? Is it get serious? Is it start frowning? Is it don't be so light? God loves a cheerful giver, we're told. God loves a cheerful giver. God gives willingly, cheerfully, heartily, and so should we. So that's another lesson, isn't it? Cheerful giving. 
And this leads nicely on to our fourth area. There's different thoughts intertwined in this fourth area. I'm going to call it God-blessed giving. God-blessed giving. This is especially in verses 8 to 11, although we will drop back to another verse. Now, one of the the groups fed back to me that um, they discovered as they looked at it that there's so much in the chapter about God. So much in the chapter about God. Not, Not just the need of the situation, in fact, very little about the need of Jerusalem saints, but a lot about God. And this is an important point in itself. Our giving needs to be God conscious giving. That's what that's what's been encouraged here in these two chapters by the apostle. It's a, a God conscious giving. God is a giving God. God is a God who blesses. And that flavours and informs and steers and encourages our giving. We mustn't cut the line between God's generosity and our generosity. That ends up with a very stifled, small-hearted generosity. No, you've got to keep that open, a sense of God's giving leading to our giving. Verse 8 is a a great verse in and of itself. It's deeply encouraging. You notice all the alls as it describes uh, the Lord and his character. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. We were encouraged by that as elders. We thought about it a, a, a few months ago in feeling concerned and wrestling with a certain situation in the church or to remember God's goodness and, and his willingness to give and that encouraged us in our prayer time and our deliberations. Well, as well as encouraging us, it, it helps us in giving. A couple of ways. So we might be tempted to think... I can't give, it's not in my nature, I don't have anything to offer, I just can't really go about this giving business. Or we might think, if I give, I'll lose out, Uh, things will run onto the rocks, there'll be bad consequences, I'm not in a position to give. Our society might drive us in that direction. Uh, We don't mind some small giving in society. There are some great examples, but often there might be serious giving, you know, waits until you're Bill Gates or some really sort of wealthy person. Then you can give big time. But otherwise, for, for for the average person, it's just a little bit of change here and there. But when we remember God and his giving, it makes us think differently. Well, yes, we must give within our means. We had that last week. But it, it, it makes us think this. Not, it's not in my nature. Not, I don't have anything to offer. But when we think of God, we think, well, the Lord can help me to be a giving person. And as we think of giving and 
what we might lose out by giving, what else it could go on, a fear of bad consequences if we part with that money. We think instead, he can supply and bless me and provide for me as I pass on to others. We can look to God to supply what we need naturally. We can look to God to enlarge our hearts to give spiritually. So giving is God-blessed in in two ways. It is stirred by God's generosity and the needs afterwards, the consequences are blessed by God's generosity. Verses 10 and 11. He who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God helps the giver. God blesses the giver. Now, verse 6 underlines this. I said we're going to jump back to a verse, didn't I? Verse 6. This, the point is this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, you've probably seen that we have two uh, patches of new grass on our lawn. Uh, You can see because they've ended up somehow a bit of a different colour from the existing uh, lawn. We're rather hoping that that will merge over time, but we shall see. Now, you imagine that in the summer, after that had been attempted, you imagine there there wasn't much there. It was pretty bald. And... uh, um, you start talking to me about it. Well, why you've got such a bald lawn? I say, well, I'm pretty, pretty disappointed with such a poor covering, really. And uh, you say, well, how many seeds did you put on those patches? I said, well, I put a, at least ten, at least ten. And you say, well, no wonder you've only got a few blades of grass. If you put a few seeds in, you get very little in return. Of course, we didn't. Well, we, we didn't lay it ourselves. We employed somebody else to lay it. But I put, I put loads of grass seeds on, loads of grass seeds on and now thankfully with a bit of water and everything we, we've got lots of grass so bountifully you reap bountifully you sow sparingly you reap sparingly and so it is with generosity if we don't give much then we miss out on blessing if we do give much then we receive much blessing of course, with the farmers of those days, uh, sowing seed was was a bit bit different from me just throwing some grass seed out because you got the yield from one year and you, if you were to sow well for the next year, that was stuff that you could have used, didn't it? it was stuff that could go towards your bread and stuff like that. But you have to you say no, no, that that needs to come away and that's going to go into the soil for next year. So there's a depriving of some of this year's situation. It's invested instead for next year and you get the blessing next year. 
And so in giving generously, we say, well, no, I, I could have, I could spend that all on myself. I could up my luxuries. I, I could have everything so much better. But, but no, no, I'm not going, I, I want that to be separate and invested elsewhere in people, in the gospel, in needs. And that will come back to blessing. That will come back to blessing. Generous people will be blessed people. Uh, to some extent, uh, maybe in God's provision of s- sufficient natural things. We need to be careful not going down the prosperity gospel on that route. But certainly in spiritual things, certainly in the age to come, generous people are blessed people. So God blessed giving. And a sense of God's kindness motivating us and an expectation of God's blessing following the giving. The giving really is an act of faith, isn't it? It's an act of trust in God. So let me just ask at the end of this point, are you a a ten grass seed person? Are you minimal in your generosity? Are you just doing a little sprinkle which doesn't really mean much to you? Well, with God's help, you can be different. With God's help, you can be much more lavish in your generosity. And with God's blessing, you won't regret it. So, God blessed giving. And one final aspect of this teaching on giving, slightly different point, is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, verses 11 to 15. So this is almost, if you like, a byproduct, but I don't want to make it seem small, but a byproduct, a product of giving. Giving leads to thanksgiving. Generosity leads to God being praised. Now this is true as we're generous to non-Christians. It says, doesn't it, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But you see it here also, in this Corinthian passage, in giving for Christians, the saints at Jerusalem who are having such a hard time. End of verse 11. I'll read from the start. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see it at the end of verse 12. But is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see it in verse 13 at the start. By their approval of this service they will glorify God. Ah, sometimes there have been uh, letters that have come in, perhaps to the help fund of uh, appreciation, and in some occasions that's been right to share amongst some of the leaders, and I've seen them, and so often uh, people have been giving thanks to God for the provision through the help fund, the kindness of others here. The relief, the encouragement, the answer to prayer leads to praise to God. Uh, 
you like to cause thanksgiving to God? Was that, was that something you quite like to cause thanksgiving to God? Then be a generous giver. Your giving will lead to thanksgiving. One person compared it to a Mexican wave. You know, these Mexican waves that go around the stadiums with everyone putting their hands up and it creates a big wave effect around the stadium. Well, as we give to others, their sense of praise go up in their hearts to the Lord. And as they share, so it are. And there's a, a sort of united, universal sense of praise and thanksgiving to God as people are generous to one another. We have one verse left to deal with in this chapter. And one home group put it rather nicely, it it was like a a bow on the chapter. It was like a bow on the package to finish it off. When we start thinking of God and giving, our thoughts end up in one particular direction. And that's in verse 15, which is where he ends. This is the bow. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I can't finish off this passage as if he's saying, without coming back to what's really the driving force. It's beyond words to explain properly. can't express to you how great it is. But let's remember, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is God's inexpressible gift? The ultimate gift. Gift we're thinking of this morning. The gift of his son into this world. The son who gave his life so that we may reap tremendous, rich, undeserved, eternal benefits through the generosity of God. It says in Romans 8 and verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously or freely give us all things? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let God's giving be strongly connected to your giving. Don't make the cut. And as you think of what God has given you in Christ, so be motivated to be a generous person. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that out of his poverty you might become rich. What a good way to round off. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So how do we leave these two chapters well, we may leave these chapters, I hope we will leave these two chapters, thinking a bit about money. Perhaps on our own, or maybe if you're part of a couple, you might have a bit of a discussion together, and you think about the money that comes in, and you think about where you currently spend it, and uh, you think of what else it could go on, you think of the things that God has given you, and whether there's opportunities to be um, using it differently, generous towards others. It would be a shame to have two sermons on it like this and just go away without thinking about it, wouldn't it? So I think we should be thinking about money. 
But I hope also it goes, it gives us, or leads us, sends us away, thinking about our heart. What's my heart attitude? Is it moved by God's kindness? Is there a willingness? Is there a cheerfulness? Pounds and a heart. Money but combined with a God-moved, a grace-flavoured heart. Well, I hope there may be some scope for you to think about some of the lessons from these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Let's just have a little time for personal prayer of response now before we sing our last hymn. Well, our last hymn is in praise to God, all-creating, heavenly giver, bringing light and life to birth, all-sustaining, heavenly father of the families of earth. Here we stand to sing our final song.
Lord, we praise you to be reminded of your character, of your graciousness, of your generosity. We pray as your people we may be moved by these thoughts and we ourselves may be generous, uh, keen to honour you, keen to serve others. Give us wisdom to think through our own situation. Give us a willing and cheerful heart. Help us to give wisely, help us to invest wisely, help us to be encouraged in a generous spirit. We ask all these things through the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Amen.